Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss The Last of Us Part 2, New Morphism, and The Zune. I don't want to waste one minute. Let's get right into it. All right, Ryan, we're back. We're better than ever. We are uh, post-WWDC, pre-COVID Wave 3, and... uh, (laughs) And everything is just looking real, real tight. <laughs> yeah, we're in a world of excellent phones and death. <laughs> I mean, everything's looking real, real good out there, folks. Um, okay, anyhow, it's been a crazy, crazy week so far. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, this week was 100% a week where it was Tuesday. And I was like, it's definitely Thursday. And uh, was very disappointed to discover the truth of my situation. Um, so this is a, a, a big tech week. Last week, we basically only talked about politics. And I think this week, to be honest, like the political situation has been relatively quiet, which I'm not complaining about. Which we should be very suspicious about. No, definitely. It's definitely like it's like like the new wave of covid. There's like a wave, some kind of political wave coming. I mean, I'm sure like I'm sure Trump did horrendous shit this week, but like there's so much of it happening so quickly that it's yeah. hard to remember unless it's yeah. like a, unless it's a multi-day affair. Um, Every day they're like, you know, we've decided to kill all, you know, children who don't spin around three times and pledge allegiance to Mike Pence. And you're like, yeah. oh, God, but. You know, there's so many of those that you're like, I guess we're all spinning around. Yeah. I mean, you know, and listen, Mike Pence is a great leader and we should, <laughs> um, we he should was, worship He was actually him. chosen by God. Have you heard? He was chosen by God. I'm, a, I'm aware of that. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I, you know, I personally, when I voted, I didn't vote for Trump, but I did vote for Mike Pence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, how did you feel? about wwdc overall other than it being a blur because honestly this whole week has felt like one day for me yeah (laughs) like one day where i was just reporting on apple um but other than it being a blur how did you feel about the presentation i mean i actually feel so let's just talk uh, for a second let's talk about the 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 technical presentation and the aesthetics of it so yes obviously there was no crowd there are no uh there are no developers out in you know cupertino right now or in san francisco there is just like uh, basically Apple executives in there. I mean, I guess they went to places, right? They were in actual locations. It's weird because they definitely couldn't have produced some of that in social distancing. No, like, they unless they did the Naomi Campbell like hazmat suit scenario. Yeah, I think they they definitely um, were. There was some production there, which is fine. I'm not. I mean, at some point, there's going to be. You know, you have to kind of. With trusted groups, people have been quarantining with all of the like measures that we're supposed to be taking. Like you can do, there are things you can do, you know, like, yeah. I mean, it's the argument of like produce a reality show right now on an island after the cast and crew have been quarantined. Like that's the main way you can make television, right? Right. And I think like you can make an argument that there's some safety 
there built into the to you know if you're really careful i think um at any rate so i thought that the presentation was actually i didn't feel like i lost a lot from watching a typical apple apple presentation like i think that apple executed the virtual presentation a million times better than anybody else i've seen give a virtual presentation and i would say 100 100 and if you compare their virtual presentation to like Sony's recent PlayStation one, it's not even in the same ballpark. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the PlayStation one looks embarrassingly amateur by comparison. I will always say like hats off to Nintendo for inventing this like form and for like being the first to say like there's no reason to get everybody together, blah, 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 in a pre-quarantine world. But the w- Apple just like showed everybody how to do it really. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so I thought that was good. I thought it was fine. I think that they basically did I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I never need to go to another Apple event. I mean, yeah. what they what they did and what they showed off worked completely fine in that context. Um, I also think it let them run a much shorter presentation. I mean, I feel like the presentation was like about an hour. Um, yeah, and as much as I miss the like hilarious like that didn't work on stage, I really every year it miss me with the like the Wi-Fi didn't connect on they were on stage how embarrassing like honestly I, I, the fact that they could just show me the future and move on was great. I don't need like riffing and then like I also don't need the extended crowd applause for like we developed a period on our font that is so dark and you're like okay great like it's a it's a it's a period like you're not i don't need a fucking uh to hear the like people doing the wave in the crowd exactly it's actually was an improvement so um at any rate so that was fine and i think that i thought that the announcements were really i thought that there were a lot of really impressive and major announcements i think this was a major wwdc for apple i think that um as the kind of you know, industry leader, you know, for lack of a better descriptor, the kind of commonly agreed upon industry leader for sort of like where innovation is happening. Um, In Apple, by the way, like sometimes earns that and sometimes does not. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like common mind share and imagination. Apple is like the tech company. Yeah. I mean, like, but also, you know, they tend to get things right that a lot of other companies spend a lot of time getting wrong. And I think, um, and we talked about this like as a team after the event about like stuff that windows does or Android does that Apple is now implementing. I think you saw a lot of them adopting ideas from other, uh, places, but I think where, where, where you see Apple sort of being excellent is in their execution. I'll start with just a, a really easy one, which is their introduction of arm, uh, you know that they're basically switching their their lineup of desktops and laptops to arm uh cpus that are custom designed by apple's you know sort of chip people um and i think you know what apple's saying is what they said when they switched to intel they're like we're going to keep doing supporting the stuff that came before this but there's going to be an end date in the future and if you see the difference between that when microsoft has done it's really stark right microsoft did this half step about arm when they introduced the surface like rt or whatever it was called and it was like oh we're doing this like uh windows x and windows 10 and or whatever they were i can't remember the exact designations but it was this thing where they literally split 
the OS and they said there's this new version, this old version. And the old version we're obviously going to keep supporting because it's Windows. And the new version is like, we'd really like for you to be involved and please make an app for it. And what happened is basically nobody did anything with it. Nobody bought the devices because they weren't fully compatible. Nobody was really working on things to make like future things compatible. Like they stopped sort of working on them because there's no audience for them. And it's sort of a dead project with Microsoft. They tried to introduce the Surface Pro X um, last year. I think it's totally mediocre. Or was it this year? I can't remember now. It's all a blur. Very mediocre device that still has the same problems. Whereas Apple's like, listen, get on the train. You don't have to get on the train right now. But it's going to leave the station and it's not coming back and there is no going backwards and we're not going to like just nurse this Intel shit for the next 10 years. I mean, they will support it, obviously, but it's clear that they're going to make a break at some point and say, we think the future is these chips. This is where all of our systems are going. This is how we're bringing them all together. And like if you're a developer or a user, you just are going to have to get comfortable with the idea that's at some point the shit you're doing is going to either need to change or be obsolete. And I think that like that conviction is what has allowed Apple to make some of the leaps it's made in computing where other people have lagged. And that is like a really, that we saw in spades at this thing, uh, particularly obviously around the big shift in, in, in Silicon. But, you know, I just think that they are committing to, uh, they're committing to things even even if they're going to be difficult. And that and that's a big deal. I think um there's something to be said for Apple's usual strategy of waiting for a technology to be mature before they implement it and then acting like they invented it. Um, because across both their design, their like their UX design, their hardware design, their choices in like strategy, their choices in materials, they have the same idea of like they let Google do something that um scares people or is dangerous or is like risky and then Google like normalizes some stuff. Google's like upload oh <laughs> literally Google's listening to me right now. Oh uh, so talking. annoying and it does that. <laughs> it's so annoying. Um they will be like upload everything in your digital life to a cloud and then we'll scan it and serve you ads and then you'll for free always have everything backed up. And you're like as a consumer you're like I don't know about that like that they're listening to everything I do now and like oh, I don't care if it's free because sometimes if my internet's down I won't have access to things and you get all like worked up and then like 3 or 4 years later Apple's like we'll do a thing where like you have a hard drive filled with information and you pay us a very like low fee of like a couple dollars a month and then you'll get a private backup upload in the cloud that's accessible if you need it and then consumers are like the cloud iCloud it's in iCloud and and it becomes they capture the imagination because they let Google normalize the idea and also take all the heat and then they can fix whatever Google did wrong and it's the same thing with Microsoft's like like Windows 10's like or even Windows Mobile's design was like like the Windows Phone widget like live icons, great idea. Or like the Palm Pre like interface where all the apps work together and can like there's lots of APIs and then you have that system of cards so that you go into an app but they use a common folder for photos and they use a common like contact book and so like when you go to universal search all the contacts are in one place apple like let the palm pre do that and then when they saw the flaws in the strategy they like 
tightened them up a little bit and then did their own version. And yeah. there's something to be said for the fact that they like do that every time. They let like a ton of MP3 players come out and then they find out what the problems that people don't like about it is. And then they come out with the iPod and then they take the credit. And that is what they're doing with iOS 14. That is what they're doing with Big Sur. That is what they're doing with their chipsets. And it pisses people off because they, like fanboys who invested in an Android phone for the last 15 years are like, I've had widgets. And it's like, okay, but did you have widgets like this? And were they like yeah. as useful? Because I've used Android for extended periods of time now. And I never use the widgets on Android. And I had iOS 14 for a few days. And I love the widgets. Yeah. And I know that's going to upset people. But well, it, it it works. Well, it's interesting to see. It's a good strategy. It's interesting to see where you know, corners have been cut and where other decisions, you know, where sort of like certain decisions for both Android and for iOS have been made about how they're going to handle, like for instance, widgets um, on iOS have become in a way, and they even kind of hinted this in the opening video. And we talked about this extensively because I, because it's, there's kind of like a lot of stuff out there in the world that predates this design, but it's like, it's an extension of what they were sort of doing with icons, right? So icons Apple, and the so, watch. Well, so here's that's basically what they just copied and pasted. Well, here's something that's interesting. So we wrote a story right after their announcement about this, and we had I had covered this at the Verge, and we covered it a little bit um, after some leaks around iOS 14. This designer in 2014 had done this incredible sort of redesign of iOS, and it's literally exactly what you see today in iOS 14. The way that um, icons can kind of expand, the concept of an icon can kind of expand to become a widget, and 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 it uses that space in a very specific way. It uses the design language in a very specific way. It's very referential to like what Apple did with the clock. This is actually one of my age-old gripes with iOS is that in iOS 7, they're like, hey, we made the clock show the real time and the calendar shows the real date. And it's like the weather icon does nothing. <laughs> it's just and not, none of the other and icons <laughs> and none of the other icons do anything. And it's like they made this weird arbitrary decision, but then they also introduced this widget panel which sat off to the side which was like a totally different design of widgets, totally different than what we see today in the new version. And, and just as difficult to access that information as it was to open the app you needed the information from on the home page. Like it was not at all easier yeah, to use yeah, widgets. Yeah. So so it's interesting because this decision that they've made, and it's funny, we ran this article about this about this designer who um, who did this beautiful sort of exploration of this design, and it's totally what Apple implemented. Now, maybe Apple will tell you, well, this is in the ether. A lot of designers are like, anybody would have thought of this. This is exactly how you have to do it. If you follow their guidelines, this is what you would do. But the reality is Apple actually had a totally different idea for how widgets would be presented on iOS. And this is a new idea. This is different from what they were doing before. And you actually see in the beta version, there's a divide between the new widget style and the old widget style. And those, the designs and the look and the feel couldn't be more different. But what's also distinct is that they are extensions of um, the iconography of iOS. They are meant to fill the space specifically uh, of a certain set of icons on your home screen. And and there and from what I understand, reading some of the guidelines around how uh, developers are supposed to be creating widgets, they're really about glanceable information, not trying to recreate an app experience inside of that widget, right? So it's a very, very strict and specific way that they've thought of doing this. And I have to say, from a visual perspective, 
when you look at the iOS home screen now, it is like night and day in terms of its like sophistication. I think I think that the iOS home screen has become so much more sophisticated and interesting uh, based on these the introduction of these new widgets and widget forms that it's like it's like now whereas i used to look at android and say wow there's so many more sophisticated things happening from a design perspective here i now look at ios and say this starts this is now starting to feel like a real cohesive complete thought about a modern mobile computing interface but so it's really interesting that they've made that decision um, whereas Android kind of left it open to, in many ways, it's kind of choose your own adventure, right? There aren't hard guidelines around how widgets should work. There aren't hard guidelines around what a developer can do with a widget. They, uh, Google itself has created a lot of sort of disparate widget styles. And so to your point, like on my Android phones, like there are a few widgets I always use, like that I, that I am you know, I need to have eyes on, but it's, it, that number has gone way down over time. I'm sure that'll be true of iOS too, but I do think that iOS came with a much more cohesive, um, thought around it. Of course, they've had six years, uh, to study other people's designs and they've had more than that amount of time to study what Android is doing. And so I'd be surprised if they didn't learn a little something from it. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think that's, and you see that throughout, I mean, I feel like Apple has moved into a design period where they are they are much I think they've kind of shaken off some of the confusion although I say this but I'm going to we're going to talk about macOS in a second. Yeah. In I, this, in, none in, of this applies to macOS. In iOS in iOS they've shaken off a lot of the confusion of the last several years I feel and they've started to turn something in that feels really cohesive and and more, way more functional and way more thoughtful to the actual user's needs. And I, I will like say using it. Yeah. And it's, but it's taken them way fucking too long. I mean, it's absurd how long it took them to do execute ideas that were obvious, not difficult to execute for them, completely straightforward, totally acceptable, um, you know, uh, to most users. And for some reason they just sat on their hands and that, I, that I don't really understand. You know, if they're like milking this stuff because um, they want to have stuff to release, I think that's not a great sign. I just don't really get how it takes six years to get to this, you know? Yeah, I, I do. I do think the widgets thing felt like something that was very obvious and that they were waiting until they like needed it. Um, and then they would play that card and they would be like, look, we're innovators. But there is innovation in here like i i really i wrote a piece about how much i love app library versus the app drawer or like the old ios just like pile of icons on a screen um i really like it i really really like how it works i feel like it has changed the way that i interact with my phone and it's changed my like workflow and kind of how i think when i'm using my phone which thanks to quarantine is like all the time now um if you don't know, if you haven't watched it, it it's sort of like Android's app drawer where like everything is shoved so that yeah. like your home screen can be designed however you like what you want when you unlock your phone. It doesn't have to be everything. But what it does do is, and this seems so obvious and it's so weird that Google didn't do this first, was it auto sorts 
folders, if you slide to the right and open app library, there is a list. If you hit the search button, you do get an an alphabetized list of every app. But you also get these folders that like are auto sorted based on sort of what they are. And they give you the three, three suggestions for each sort. So like for entertainment right now, it's YouTube, Prime Video, and Roku are the most open. And the reason they're the most open is I watch YouTube when John is working. I watch, I use Roku to control my TV and we've been binging Alias. So whenever I'm about to go watch something, it's a really good chance that I'm going to turn my TV on and watch Alias. The idea that like, it's just like, it auto populates that stuff is so nice. But the reason that I feel like for me, it's so perfect is that I was already doing this. I was creating folders on my second page of iOS. My first page was like stuff that I regularly use, what I actually use as a home screen. The second page was I was creating folders for each category of app type and then alphabetizing my apps as I downloaded them into those folders by hand all the time so that I would know where things were uh, because I have no object permanence or whatever. Yeah. Um, And It's insane that, like, I never even thought, like, why doesn't the system auto do this for me? I, like, took for granted that I needed to be doing that by hand. And even on Android, it doesn't auto do that. I mean, Android just introduced in the latest beta on the Pixel, they just introduced, like, a row of icons that, like, auto comes up with for things you might want to use. It's wild to me that Google didn't think, like, let's create folders that auto sort the apps. And... I feel like it's such a convenience and it and it it also gets all of it out of my mind so that I'm not opening my phone and then being like, oh, I haven't checked LinkedIn for a while. I don't look for LinkedIn until I get a notification or like it comes to my mind because I absolutely have to open LinkedIn. And that yeah. means I never open that stupid app, which I never like anyway. The the app library stuff, what's interesting about that is that I have sort of resisted auto organizing of apps on android like i'm like oh i love that app drawer like that's really like it's great all my stuff is there i like the fact that it's away that's the right idea right like you have all these apps you don't use them all the time they're put away you There's can go a find your the, Mac or Windows desktop is not every single app you right. fucking installed. Which is why, which is why, like, like, uh, you know, like Launchpad or Launch, whatever the fuck it's called, is such a dumb idea. And no one's ever used it. <laughs> yeah, that like it's like yeah, you have a whole page just for launching stuff. Like, okay, cool. But the um, but what's interesting about App Library? Is and it's so dumb to be gushing over like these simple features. I know. But it is, I feel but like it is a real like, nerd. But no. But, but I mean, how much you spend so much time on these devices, and it's like it, there's. It feels like there's so little that's like being done, especially with iOS. So little that's being done that's thoughtfully like addressing user needs. Like so often, I'm like, why is this done like this? And I feel like they actually got to a couple of things in this version where they're addressing real problems. And the app library is great. What has been most notable to me is that I have two pages of my like critical apps mixed in with widgets now. So even fewer than I would have had on my, on my, on the old version of my device. And, um, I barely ever look at it. The other apps, I mean, I'm barely, I I have barely touched them at all. Um, and certainly it like makes it easier to find them, but it's like, I'm not even, uh, it's like, I'm not even looking there. And so it really does kind of, a call into stark contrast just how much I'm using my core apps and how little I'm using um, those others. You know, I think the thing I'm gushing over is not necessarily the design or the innovation because I get that this is like just a phone and like these are just a new way to arrange a 
bunch of squares. I get it. But the thing that I really do like is that it it confidently and um, seamlessly integrates the idea that like use your phone less. It doesn't make the phone worse to use. In fact, it makes my phone easier to use and easier to use less, which I do want. I want reason. I I want to stop feeling this like anxiety and sense of addiction to my phone, especially now that I'm trapped in my home uh, and my job is digital. It's nice that the phone subtly encourages me not to think about a bunch of apps that I don't need to think about. And like on Android, every time I open the app drawer, because I keep my Android home screen pretty clean. Whenever I open the app drawer, everything is there. So it's not as if I'm avoiding a bunch of apps there. It's just like always there anyway. So I, I don't know. It, it's in general, like, yeah, we can move on from the app library conversation, yes, yes. but I, mean, I do we're... really like it. Um, I, I mean, but this is all to say iOS 14 is great. It has lots of little features, lots of little touches that we've got on the site that if you want to get into like our thoughts about each little like dot icon, like we do pull it apart there. But uh, Mac OS Big Sur, I installed that beta. That's a big fucking steaming mess. I can't stand Big Sur. Right. Well, I mean, Big Sur is a whole other um, situation. I mean, so we were actually, our designer, uh, Jack Loskis, wrote a um, big essay about the design of Big Sur. Big Sur is obviously the next version of Mac OS, which is version 11, which is going to be the first version to um to sort of adopt this new arm platform uh as far as i know i could be wrong about that but i believe that's like big sur is the version that's going to be the arm os right yeah it's mac os 11 right so so they're doing things with the design that are really specific one is that there's a ton of stuff in the design that is obviously touchscreen influenced or based right like yeah. the controls like the control center stuff the 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 quote unquote sliders and buttons are like very much like tap. Uh, Even the pop-ups are supposed, they kind of look like 3d touch. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, 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 to me is indicating that I don't know if this is true or not, but it seems to be indicating that there's going to be potentially some device hybrid devices in the future, right. That are like laptops with touch screens or some shit like that. I mean, who knows? Because the reality is if everything's on arm and there's a shared platform that like big Sur and, iOS are so close that they're almost indistinguishable in a lot of ways from an from the underpinnings. Like if you build an app for iOS, it's going to run natively on Big Sur. That's a big fucking deal. So suddenly, this is what sort of Microsoft figured out while still doing traditional Windows 10 is that you can now sort of free up like the ecosystem in a way from this general idea of like it's a laptop, it's a desktop. I mean, what Microsoft has done with like the the um uh, what is the Surface Desktop called? What is the the big one? Like the um, really Surface the, Studio. Surface Studio, yeah. Where it's like it literally lays down flat, and you get this massive like a space for like creation. Really, really interesting ideas. Like you start to think about all the things that Apple can do. So that's exciting. I mean, I want Apple to break out of this single use form factor idea, and I think that they're almost there. And maybe Big Sur takes them there. So there's a lot of stuff that's very referential to ios then there's this other stuff and mostly you see it in some it's in some other some menus and some areas like some windows and stuff but mostly you see it in icon design and the icon design is like this weird fucking middle ground between 
it's not like current Mac OS. It's almost like this weird skeuomorphic thing and trying to be like iOS. And it turns out there's actually a name for this, which is pneumorphism or neumorphism, depending on who you talk to. Um, and it is this, I think, fascinating new space in user interface design, which is what if objects in a digital space had relationships to one another and had um, uh, sort of depth and texture that was not referencing the real world as skeuomorphism was in like the old versions of iOS, but was referencing like something that's purely digital, right? So it's almost this hybrid of the physicality of like, oh, it's a it's a metal surface with a switch, right? That's a very physical concept that's based in our current reality, right? Like our real world. Like, oh, my, there's a on my stereo, there's a button and I can push it. It's almost taking that idea of like a real world button that you can push, but then saying like, what if that button existed in this digital space? And what if those the things you could touch in those spaces actually had a relationship to the other things and weren't just these arbitrary like surfaces. And well, so that's a really is, interesting it's like, idea. It's like, um, it adds another obviously dimension, but it adds the ability to like, like yes, windows in a fully digital space, like two windows can, one can be on top of each other and that's communicated by like only seeing part of one, but it also adds like a sense of depth so that I, because it uses light to add a, a, another way of adding information and and communicating um, where things are, are and how they're being prioritized for you, the user. And so it, it sort of it's sort of funny that ray tracing is happening at the same time in video games um, because it is using light in this way to communicate much more purposefully and less artificially, more like naturally um, information about uh, like. Uh, about depth about priority about focus and it's definitely needed because flat design was throwing out a bunch of like options that were there that skeuomorphism was not necessarily taking great advantage of and because it's being slowly reintroduced to this digital interface you can more thoughtfully decide when and how it's needed and when and how it's used but the problem is we're very early in people figuring out the conventions that work and that feel natural and that are easily digestible and understandable for mainstream audiences. And so Apple, as much as they're lauded for their like flawless design, they can be messy. I mean, look at your magic mouse and how it charges. It's yeah. funny. Like well, they do bad things. And this is a mess. These icons are a mess. All of Mac OS right now that I'm using is a big mess like i just don't yeah. there's no yeah. uniformity no. i don't know why they're doing some of the things they're doing it seems completely arbitrary some of the icon stuff like the messages icon is terrible yeah no it's 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 at this point well this is the interesting thing is that jack's piece is sort of like this is a uh pretty fertile ground for n new ideas but their execution at this point is pretty half pretty half-assed you know, um, it's it's just not um, It's closer to Mac OS 10, the original like release with all it's like gel and crystal and like all of yeah. that, like artificial future that that they were selling. It's closer to that than it is to like what I see on Dribble. 
that people are experimenting with new morphism. Like it's closer to like the late nineties, early two thousands, like fantastic N64. And like, I totally have nostalgia for that, but it doesn't feel like a useful change. It just feels like a stylistic change just to have something look different. And that I'm never into. Like design for me needs to improve usability or like digestibility or comfort, or you're just like in the fashion business. Right. Right. I mean, I think, look, I mean, here's the thing. It's like when you read, well, at least when you, I, when I read the piece that Jack wrote, I was like, this is really exciting and has a, a huge, there's a huge opportunity. And what he ends the piece with, which I agree with is that, at the end of the day, it's going to take other people to push it forward faster and harder than Apple can because Apple's always trying to sort of play like this middle ground or often – this is what I was saying is like they they do sometimes make these big decisions, but a lot of time they're kind of doing this thing where it's like, hey, why did it take six years to get the widgets? I don't. Maybe it's because they were worried that it would be too jarring to people, you know? And I think that like it is going to take dev- third-party developers to actually push it forward in a meaningful way. Um which is fine, but I do think if if in the Apple meantime, can even, though, it doesn't feel like it's for adults. It doesn't feel mature. Like it just ends up feeling very like Fisher Price is the word that yeah. I keep using. And some of it is just fucking ugly. Like I think some of the icons are just like it's too like they're not even in that space. I would say there's a mismatch right now. There is a some of the icons are absolutely like in this sort of like newmorphism sort of style some of them are like weirdly are like skeuomorphic like super photorealistic like the the text edit icon looks like a photograph of a pen on a photograph of a piece of paper you know like it's not it's not good it's not visually it doesn't add anything like okay now i see a pen and a piece of paper that's what i saw before you just kind of like used a glossy paint like i don't yeah i I don't know why you're doing it. it and it's not like the light is being rendered in real time, so it's so visually impressive. It just sort of still feels arbitrary and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we're beating the design stuff to death, but definitely. It, definitely all of which to say, death. I don't like looking at Big Sur, but I am excited about the switch to ARM. Um, yeah. I, I actually really want to buy one of these ARM computers because even if it's the same performance I'm getting from a MacBook Pro now, I, I am excited by the idea of it being so low power and low yeah. heat. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I think that's a huge deal. I mean, we could have a whole show just to talk about that. I mean, I I would just I would just say that Apple doesn't make these decisions um, arbitrarily. They don't make them lightly. They don't make them lightly. No. Yeah. And I think that that there's going to be, I mean, they showed like final cut, like real time final cut effects, um, like while editing. To me, there's going to be a there could be a potentially a huge moment, a breakthrough moment in um, how we think of computing, where we go from stuff that we're used to doing. Like as a good example, like you're doing a 4K, you know, video edit, and you want to add some like lighting changes and some effects, and like you're going to wait for those to render when you're done. You know, an era where that happens in real time is like a it's it's sort of like what's happening on consoles where the next generation of the PlayStation and the Xbox, one of the big things they're doing is these, they're basically cutting out load times, which is a, seems like not that big of a deal. But when you start to think about what it means for a game that could, where you could like keep a narrative moving 
in an infinite amount of space in an infinite amount of scenarios or almost near let's say near infinite because of the speed of the load times that you can do it in the background essentially um it's a very very different very different uh way to think about how technology works and i think that we could be approaching that with what apple's doing with arm but we won't know of course until you know we see it fully realized but it's exciting i think it's a big deal yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see what this means for the design of the actual laptop that they roll out. I'm sure the first one will hedge their bets a little bit and look as close to a current Mac as possible so that people don't freak out. But I am excited to see in the next few years how it affects the actual design of the computer and like the form factor. Because if you think about like no load times or you think about like no really low energy draw, really low heat, really thin products at least internally, it, it's, it's, it's like a car that never has to stop for a red light. Like that would change the world. That would change travel. That would change transportation. That would change deliveries. Like everything would be different if a car never had to stop at a red light. And so I am excited to see what that would mean for like the shape of the car. Um, and I do think like, you know, I, and I, I do appreciate the, like, loss to the whole, like, technological scene. Like, we, you know, Evan wrote this piece about the Hackintosh is dead because the interoper interoperability of the chipsets and the x86 sort of platform means you're not going to be able to, like, do a Hackintosh. You're also not, because the drivers won't be there, but you're also not going to be able to, like, run Wine or emulate Windows on a Mac easily or at all. And so it... It, it, it is sort of a loss and I do understand the like, especially if Apple's off doing their own thing with computers again, that split with windows of just like what it means to have a windows PC versus a Mac will be interesting, especially since windows has only dipped its toes into the whole arm scene and they still haven't got their shit together. And it means there might be all this fracturing and like brouhaha around like what apps are available on what part of windows and what apps are available for mac versus being emulated and a new app drops for the arm max that doesn't work on the intel mac like max but professionals are still using the intel max it's going to be a mess um yeah and i do appreciate well, all of that but honestly like we've been through this kind of mess before like there was a lot of pain on the internet when we had to get rid of flash but i do think it's good that we got rid of flash so i'm excited yeah. to see where it goes I mean, it's definitely like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be messy for a while, but but hard transitions are always messy. They should be. They need to be. And I think like, I mean, what we don't have enough of is people making, I mean, look, sometimes Apple does and it's fucking stupid and annoying. Like the situation with dongles is absolutely absurd. Oh my you know, God. The, the fact that the fact that like I have to have like these external ridiculous things outside of the computer just to be able to do basic things that my computer would normally do I have otherwise two hanging off of my off of the macbook which is sitting in my lap right now they're both hanging off the sides of my lap like how is this a laptop I'm it's so sorry. dumb like it's so dumb it's like su such a it's such a i mean i get like it's great we're all moving to USB-C, but things haven't moved to USB-C, and it's like i'm still on a regular basis searching for this stupid thing like, like one no real no, usb port is not an insane ask i mean no you know no hdmi port of any type no mini display or anything i mean I, I know this sounds like i'm an old man no sd card i mean that stuff's really useful on a laptop anyhow this is i don't want to go down a rabbit hole in this just to say that there are things they do where they're like we're making this big decision and i find it to be absolutely annoying and stupid um but then there are things that they do where I'm like, yes, this is the right decision. And I think 
this last round of announcements uh, from WWDC are absolutely like good, big, smart decisions that I am behind and I think that are going to have some yield, some really interesting major stuff in the near future. Um, so that's Apple. And is there anything else? That, what else did they announce? I, I mean, is there anything else worth talking about from I Apple? I mean, they announced a bunch of car stuff and TV stuff. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm like, I don't, I don't care about that at all. I should say, uh, speaking, we were talking about PlayStation. So I like was like sort of convinced that I wasn't going to um, to play the new Last of Us game because um, there's been a lot of controversy around it. There have been a lot of uh, reviews that were sort of very critical of it. Um, and then finally, I was like, you know what? I really enjoyed the first one. I'm curious to see what happens with the second one. I'm going to play it. So I've started playing it. I don't know if you've played it at all yet or not. I have it. I haven't started playing it yet. Yeah. So I want to like sit down and spend one day like doing like eight hours of play. I, I really am not the type that can play a game like that in like 40 minute chunks after work. Like it's it, not. It's, good it's actually. So here. So here's what I'll say. Uh, first, I'll say this. The bad. It is a game that is, um, you know, has has a really uh, thoughtfully, deeply told story, it, uh, unbelievably acted, unbelievably directed. For a video game, it's like it is on a whole other level, in my opinion. There's only a handful of games that really come close in terms of like just really uh, being an engrossing, thought provoking, sort of like you know detailed story. Um, it is. I, it, I want to play it. I'm interested in it. I'm I'm curious about it. It is it is unbelievably stressful to play. Like the one of the most stressful games I've ever played. It is unpleasant. Like it's not fun, right? Like it's like it's. It, 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 I would say it's like the game version of Requiem for a Dream. I don't know if you've ever seen Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, of course. It's a very very dark movie about addiction. And it's, you know, uh, there is some value in watching it, but it's not enjoyable. It's almost like Uncut Gems is a similar movie, also about addiction. It's a, a wonderful, beautiful, thought-provoking movie that is absolutely like I would not like to return to it ever. Like, I don't – I like, once, once I finished it, I was like, oh, thank God this is over, and I don't want to go back to it. The incredible and – um amazing and i bow before his thought process tim rogers launched a new youtube channel where he's doing action but it's called action button reviews um where he's doing like three hour plus reviews of a single game made over the course of a month and where he's devoting like 12 hour days full work days to these reviews and he did one of the last of us which was incredible and mind-blowing and very compelling but in it he breaks down sort of the why the last of us is both a singular artistic statement created with creative freedom, but it's also kind of made in a laboratory to win Game of the Year awards because <laughs> of things like, you know, it, it's cinematic nature. It's uh, the amount of time spent on cutscenes versus playing, the um, ease of understanding the different gameplay flavors and how they mix with each other. And But one of the pieces that he really like highlighted is uh, like for example like uh when you when you see a dystopic video game part of that is that someone likes writing about dystopias 
and you can talk about politics with a pretty easy shorthand that doesn't feel political. But also, game designers really like making dystopias because they look like shit. And like they can make this furniture all knocked over before you even walk into the space and they don't have to explain why. It can kind of just be a big mess and it can be artistic. But when done correctly... It's both convenient and super effective. And there's no way to knock The Last of Us. It does dystopia right. Uh, like, it, it feels gorgeous and cinematic, but it also happened to probably be easier to design stuff at that caliber and at that level that didn't have to look like the real world and didn't have to look as, like, thoughtfully, um, every single part of it as thoughtfully textured and stuff. It could look dirty. Um, right. Similarly, a, a really great shorthand for justifying violence and justifying um heart racing like you can't look away because of danger gameplay is to make it uncomfortable because then you can either comment on how you don't like violence and it's uncomfortable and so the game fulfilled its duty towards being anti-violent or you can say i like violence and this is a violent game and both right. sides win and so the game is designed and i haven't played part two yet but that game is designed to make you uncomfortable with violence because it is something we can universally agree is bad but also enjoy doing and so it, it's it makes it makes the mix of i like playing this and it feels valuable to me but also it's painful sort of it's its own like slurry of just like yeah. cringing, but I can't wait to get to the next part. You yeah, know? but I mean, but I, I will just want to be clear. I don't. I, so I, that is not how I feel playing The Last of Us Two. Like how I feel playing it is, I'm very interested in the story and in the characters and in the and in the world. I'm, I like. I'm not saying I would just like to watch it because there are parts of it that I find like fun to play. I think like the hardest part of the game is that it has it has this personality sort of the split personality where it wants to be a game that that makes you hate the violence of the game. And then it also has to be a game where you can like upgrade your gun. I mean, this yeah. is literally this is literally the game. It is absolutely it absolutely abhors the concept of violence and is trying to say something about, I mean, it's, you know, in the heavy handed way the video games do, it's trying to like show you the consequences of violence, which is like, okay, fine. you like, that's a, you can do that. Like that's a thing you can do in a game or in any other sort of piece of art. But then it's also like upgrade your revolver. And it's like, well, okay. Like you can't be sort of like, you can't make me question why I'm shooting people. And then also ask me to make my thing that shoots people more powerful for shooting. Like it's that to me is where the game sort of like loses its luster is in these moments where it just goes back to being a video game and doesn't commit to like the story in a way. But like, but here's what I'll say. Um, it's, it's not enjoyable to play, but I want to keep playing it. It's not fun. It's especially after a long day, it's especially not enjoyable to like, start playing the i mean i think about it i've been thinking about it all day but like to start playing it is hard i don't want to play it for very long um but here's the thing that's most notable about the last of us part two to me and the thing that i my biggest takeaway thus far it is like maybe the most beautiful game in terms of graphics that i've that i've played ever on my playstation and I have the, I don't have a pro, I have the original PS4. 
um, from a graphical standpoint, from graphic standpoint, it is like, like I just kind of want to look around sometimes in the game. Like I don't even want to play it. But what it has done more than any other thing that I have seen thus far, it has gotten me extremely excited about the next generation of consoles. See, be- that's because- what the old Last of Us felt like for me. And so now that I'm super excited because I remember playing the original and thinking like, this looks like a PS4 game. Yeah. I mean, this looks like to me, what whatever they're doing from the physics to the the, the character animations and, and faces to the 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 environments. I, I mean, honestly, there's stuff in this game where I'm like, is this ray tracing? Like what they're doing looks like what I've seen in like ray tracing, uh, like actual games with ray tracing. I, it is like unbelievable what they've managed to pull out of the PS4, which is, and you know, the original PS4 that I'm playing. Like when was it introduced? Uh, six years ago? 2013. So seven years ago yeah i'm really good at math so (laughs) the thing is seven years old okay and the the performance is unbelievable for this game the the graphics are unbelievable um i mean naughty dog is just they're masterful at getting those sony consoles to perform like it feels like most people don't use the whole orchestra, especially with Sony games. Like Switch games, it feels like people are always trying to push the limit. But with Sony consoles, it never feels like people are using the whole orchestra at once. But Naughty Dog always does. They all they're fully they churn stuff out of those consoles that is just jaw dropping every time. And yeah, it makes you really look forward to like what they'll be doing next. You know. Yeah, and I I just want to say, I mean, so. Looking at what they're doing right now on current generation, I mean, nothing, I don't think anything has gotten me more excited about the next PlayStation than this game. Because if this is what current gen can do, and it yeah. is, and it is amazing, I really think it's amazing. Um, the next gen is going to be completely out of control, like completely out of control. I mean, like it, at this point in next gen, shit's going to basically look real from what i can tell and not that that's the only goal of 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 these um systems and not that's the only goal of love of like better graphics performance but i i just think the environments and the characters and the way that you can tell these stories is going to get so much richer and so like there really hasn't been anything that i've seen up until this point up until playing this game that gave me like that kind of like next gen excitement that I've been sort of like looking for and missing, you know, like, um, it just is like, hasn't been there. And now that I've seen this game, I'm like, wow, like I'm really excited about the PS five and I'm really excited about the new Xbox. It's like the graphics are just on a whole other level. In my opinion. I mean, there's a few games that you could say like, you know, horizon zero dawn is like that. Um, you know, but this one's like, it just synthesizes so much of what has been, really great about what they're doing uh with environments and with characters in these games and it's just like it's it's pretty mind-boggling so i'm like very excited i don't know how much i I haven't read a lot of the reviews because i'm trying to avoid spoilers on this game but like i i don't know how much has been written about this like i get all the controversy around the game i get like a lot of what people have been feeling in terms of you know the problems with it um and its message and its characters they're they're all there you know 
I do think it's a compelling story, but more than anything, I mean, it's like, it's just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful piece of art. Like it's, it's really like just, I, I mean, the environments, the characters, everything is just like pretty fucking breathtaking. Anyhow. So that's my big takeaway um, from playing it, which is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really impressive. Um, and the next gen is going to be absolutely mind boggling. I can't wait. I can't wait yeah. to buy a new console. And you, you have a pro, right? Yeah, I have a pro. I'm literally watching a comparison of the pro and the, um, and the regular PS4 right now. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, the leap, you know, it's definitely there. The leap yeah, isn't the, so the crazy. Is, yeah, the Pro is a little extra, like, icing on your cupcake or whatever. It, I, I, I'm, I, I was never, like, a person that felt, like, the Pro, like, makes the menus work faster. And, like, their anti-aliasing is smoother. And sometimes shadows look better. And, obviously, it's higher resolution. But I, I was never, like, oh, my God, this is the one way to play PS4 games. Um, but I am, it does make me really excited for the PS5 in a way that like the jump from the PS3 to the PS4 didn't feel so like the Xbox 360 versus the Xbox one didn't blow me away in any respect. And certainly the like Wii U to the switch is the exact same thing. So it, right. if, if I mean, I am excited about it in a way that I haven't been for a long time, but I also know that these consoles are going to cost so much money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. But I, I, I don't know. I think it'll be worth it. I mean, I kind of like, I almost like want to wait and play this on the next generation console. Like I got the last of us remastered yeah. for the PS4 and I played it a bit. Um, I never, I didn't finish it on the, on, on the PS4, but like, you know, it, it, anyhow, like, I don't, I think I've already said enough about it. It's just like, you know, it's an interesting game. I will say, I do think like philosophically speaking, I think they're, they're trying to pull off something very difficult. Um, I'm excited to see what VR is going to look like. I can't oh, yeah. wait. Oh yeah. No, I mean, this made me think uh, like instantly about what the VR possibilities are. I mean, if we get the, if we get downsized headsets and higher resolution headsets with like this level of fidelity in terms of graphics, it's like fucking yeah. insane. Clutch. Like, I, it's funny because I just built this game PC and I was like, wow, these graphics are, you know, I'm playing like control on like full graphics settings. I'm like, nothing is going to look better than this. And <laughs> honestly, like Last of Us on PS4 looks and in some way performs like. I mean, I remember playing the original Resident Evil and being like, this is a movie. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I mean, that's the shit I've always like. I'm like, I thought this looked real. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I remember we were talking about NBA Jam. You were like, I was like, you were like, this is a photorealistic basketball game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people were like, this is, I'm on the court right now. <laughs> you no, know? I know. And one day someone's going to listen to this podcast and be like, these motherfuckers thought that fucking that looked. But you know what? Like, fucking Toy Story looked so good. But if you ever go back and watch the original Toy Story, you're like, it's astonishing that they made a like, full they movie could, in this. They quality. couldn't get like their hand, <laughs> hands can't like fully grasp things. And it's like, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's incredible. All right. Anything else we should talk about, Ryan? Anything else no. that's going on in the news? I mean, there's stuff going on, but I think those are the big things. I, I, I'm excited because tech is fun to talk about right now, and it hasn't been for a long <laughs> for, time. For this, for one week, <laughs> for one week, there's stuff to talk about. Um, you know, look, I will say we're all bored at home. You know, the fucking COVID is back and better than ever. And uh, so we need things to do. We need things yeah. to entertain ourselves with. So like uh, some good video games and some new fucking OSs to play around with is a welcome change of pace from having to just, 
you know, sit online all day and read Donald Trump's tweets, which is what I'm yeah. normally doing. Now so, I get to yeah. read them with widgets. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm right, right up there. It's great stuff. It's very good stuff. Anyhow, all right. Well, so should we wrap up? Is that it? Yeah, let's talk about do you have any nice things? Do I have any nice things? Wait, I haven't thought about my nice things this week. I'll go. Well, I have. Okay, go ahead. Um, so I have two nice things. One is that I got my birthday presents early. Um, I bought myself a birthday present and John got me a present. I bought an original Famicom and Famicom disc system from Japan, <laughs> which like I'm never going to play, but it's like a beautiful work of art in my home that I just, I stare at it and I touch it and it's so cool. And then John got me the Super System 3 SD, which is, um, if you don't know, a Terra Onion product for the original TurboGrafx-16 slash PC Engine slash Core Graphics console, which it plugs into, it's like an addition that plugs into the back port of that older console, and it lets you play all of those games um, Turbo Graphics CD, Super CD games, Super Graphics games, um, and it gives you beautiful, crystal clear RGB video instead of the weird like composite video that the, that console was known for turning out. Um, and it is so nice. And I have waited so long because the thing was never in stock, and it came in stock, and he got it for me as a surprise, and I am over the moon about it um so that is great i love fpga stuff i am still a nerd for retro games and then my other nice thing is um if you google search chromatica 2 into 911 there is currently a meme about the transition on lady gaga's uh, chromatica album between the song the like the snippet chromatica 2 which is like an orchestral snippet into the track 911 which is such a beautiful seamless awesome moment on the album it's so great but it's so great that it's turned into a meme of just like i can't even explain it like just go look it up it, just go look it up it, it's it's a moment when like the orchestral stuff turns into like this fashion forward aggressive dance pop song but the the transition is so seamless and gorgeously produced that um you don't notice when the strings become synths and so people are doing things like every time in a movie something super unexpected and like jaw dropping happens like you know um the green goblin bursting through aunt may's bedroom wall or like regina george being hit by a bus or someone slapping someone else on the good fight um so people are especially gay people are turning these things into like they're turning the um track into these hilarious video clips and i've been watching them all day and they make mm. me so happy so that's my other nice thing is a meme <laughs> wow that's a very <clears throat> it's a wonderful meme wonderful nice thing and it sounds like a wonderful meme and i'm very happy for you <sighs> i haven't had time for memes you know why i've been cleaning why? my garage oh yeah yeah, that's oh, my nice yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, you sent us some pictures of shit you found. Cleaning. Oh, I found a Zune, uh, <laughs> which I'm like trying to figure out how I could use. Not, I don't know why. You um, need to squirt. You got to squirt, man. I got to do it. Yeah, it's like it can get online, but it won't get online. So it's like so fucked up that it can't even like connect to yeah. um, my network. I'm surprised no. there isn't like a Zune hacking subreddit. Oh, I'm sure there is. I just haven't gone there yet because I have a life. <laughs> um, <laughs> no but i'm i'm like uh, I, I, I talked about i talked about this woodworking stuff that i'm getting into and um i actually signed up for some classes in october which i'm very excited about around uh, uh, uh japanese woodworking which is a very specific 
sort of subset of woodworking. Anyhow, but I've been cleaning out my garage so I have room to actually do this. And it's been extremely good to be throwing things out. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like I'm, I used to be very anti throwing things out. I was like a weird hoarder for reasons. And now I'm going through my stuff. Like, I don't even know why, you know, I have like fucking receipts from like 1999 <laughs> in a box somewhere. I mean, seriously, it's disturbing, you know? Like and, I bought um, a Diet Coke once at a gas station. Yeah, it's like I have like trips that I took, like a whole like envelope full of trips, like receipts from trips that I took like 20 years ago. I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> what was the plan for these exactly? Not really sure. <laughs> Ready to scrapbook. Very strange. At any rate, so so I'm clean, um, throwing stuff out. And I feel like it's an incredibly liberating experience. And I recommend to everybody, um, you know, fucking throw shit out. Get, you know, let the past die. Kill it if you must. Put it in a contractor bag if you must. <laughs> You're um, saying let the past die. I'm saying polish it up and put it on display in your home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's uh, different strokes for different folks, as they say. <laughs> Um, anyhow, that's, so that's my nice thing is like throwing things out and cleaning. That is like, I think at this, at the, in, in, in the time of coronavirus, um, the, the feeling of, uh, making progress on something is very powerful. You know, well, on that note, I will say, uh, defund the police and we will talk to you next week. Wow. Wow. Truly agree. Defund the police, uh, throw the police in the garbage and uh, use that space for a woodworking bench. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. And I'm happy to report that your family has their Zunes all set up and working. And they're squirting right now. <laughs>